AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So, John, you have got a story for us today uh, involving D-Link routers. Yeah, so, you know, we talk a lot about um, a lot of these embedded um, small home routers and things like that. And uh, there is uh, a recent report that came out, actually a vulnerability that the FortiGuard, or FortiNet FortiGuard Labs has discovered um, in some older models of D-Link routers. And these are mostly you know, consumer uh, grade products that a lot of people might have. Uh, so that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up uh, for a couple of reasons. But anyway, I'm just gonna mention really quickly that the models affected are the DIR 655, the 866L, the 652, and the DHP 1565 um, models are impacted by that. So um, it's a remote code execution bug it seems, from what I could see, to be very trivial, easy to exploit, probably very wormable. Um, you could write something to just uh, go scan the internet, find them, like we see a lot with things like Mirai and a lot of these yeah. other types of um, IoT-type botnets. Uh, it'd probably be very easy to um, you know, add this into their repertoire uh, in terms of exploits and recruiting into their, uh, uh, into their botnets and whatnot. The interesting thing about this story is that um, D-Link has decided, well, these are too old and we're not going to release patches for them, which is interesting on a couple of, for a couple of reasons. One is that a lot of people who buy these devices, um, especially consumers, you know, put them on their network. They really don't think about them and they probably don't upgrade them. I can say that they're probably five, six years old, which is old, but I guarantee you there's people out there that probably still have these devices. Um, and aren't even thinking about whether they need to upgrade or change them out um, to get you know a better performing uh, home router because as long as it continues to work that's all the most uh, consumers care about the other interesting thing about this is the the FTC was saying that um, D-Link was not um, responding to vulnerability reports on their products and that they're misrepresenting the security of them right. and that they have to go through um, uh, some sort of security program for their routers on a regular basis uh, by an independent uh, assessor, not somebody from the FTC, but somebody that um, they choose but meets the requirements that D-Link sets out. Anyway, it's a long, drawn-out thing. But in any event, D-Link has agreed that they're going to go through these uh, new security reporting processes and evaluations of their products uh, before they get put out into the market and whatnot. So a little bit more stringent guidelines around uh, what they put out. And the FTC has also required this of another vendor, ASUS, which is also, I don't remember if they're from Taiwan, they might be somewhere else, but um, who have similar issues. So it's um, interesting that they chose to not patch this. Um, and I wonder if, I, I wonder how that all wraps in. I, they don't really describe how these two things um, tie in together or whether they do or not, or if this is a measure because they're saying, well, it's so old, I don't want to have to deal with it in the, the new um, security compliance stuff that we have to do with FTC, so let me just get rid of it. I'm just not going to support it at all or something like that. Um, and they do have a two-year grace period uh, in between uh, while this, this new security um, 
uh, program is being rolled out in terms of auditing of their equipment and whatnot. So interesting, I guess the, the long and short of it is if you have one of these devices, you probably should um, swap it out for a new one because it's not going to be patched. Uh, they're not going to release a patch for it, so you probably want to get uh, a newer piece of hardware just in case you know they somebody does start trying to uh, discover and recruit these into botnets and infect them and whatnot. So yeah. So I mean, so you're, go ahead, John. I was just gonna say I, I just I get to thinking about you know these D-Links and some other routers like that. You know, people put those in and they don't really ever plan to change them right until they break. <laughs> right. And they don't even think, they don't even think about them. And so, you know, it's like any kind of uh, piece of hardware equipment, you know, whatever. It's the, there is a, a support life cycle that, you know, if you're outside of it, then you, you could be subject to something like this. Like you said, there, you know, this story has some back history, you know, this whole D-Link, and they're tied into this thing for, I think, 10 years, right? Uh, so for the next 10 years, they have right. to be under this, you know, strict guidelines right. and under the um, microscope. Exactly. So, <laughs> so um, but I mean, when you look at it, I mean, I realize this, this story is, is pretty much coming out because of that history, and now they've got a pro they've got a product that has a vulnerability, and they're saying no, we're not gonna we're not gonna release the patch for this because it's outside of the, and as long as they met their criteria which I think was that they had to let their customers know 60 days in advance. Um, as long as they meet that criteria, they can basically say, look, I'm sorry, we told you 60 days in advance that this product was going end of life at this, po at this point. And end of life means end of life, means we, we, we have to take it off our books. We're not supporting it anymore. I, we, can't have, we don't have the resources to go and fix code in, the, in those devices. So, you know, from one perspective, it's like, you know, I, I understand it, I get it, right? You, you, you're a company, you make these devices, you get to a certain point and you're like, look, this has been out there for five or six years. Right. right. And in realistically, five or six years in this world is a long time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Five yeah, or six in terms years. Of technology. Technology, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a long time for a piece of technology to be out there that doesn't get, you know, isn't completely obsolete in five or six years. So, you know, so from that perspective, I get it. I get why, you know, they made that decision and they're going to stick to it and they're going to be like, no, I'm sorry, we're not releasing a patch. So unfortunately, if you have one of these devices, your best bet right now is to, you know, go to your local, you know, Best Buy or Amazon and try to get yourself a new device. Right, right. You know. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I guess, um, you know, I, I just kind of wonder if things are going to, like, if they're going to shorten product lifespans as a result of this in general, or other vendors might as well, just to kind of avoid having to deal with patching, yeah. um, even further than they might be, or tighter than they, they used to be. Right. This is a big, huge issue in terms of uh, this landscape, the threat landscape on the internet of these embedded uh, devices like these little home routers or network attached storage or these other types of things are ripe for getting uh, scooped up into botnets because the little vulnerabilities get discovered. They have very low touch for the user. So the user's probably never, it's not like your Windows machine or your, right. your laptop that you would see lots of issues. You really have no visibility into what's going on on the router and whether it needs to be patched. So they just let it be. As long as it works, yeah. they just let it be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why, why would I touch it if it's working? <laughs> right, exactly. And that's a lot of, that is the mindset of a lot of people 
um, but there can be things going on behind the scenes that they don't know about, and maybe a lot of their issues that they're having are because the device got compromised. It's a big story now, you know, to talk about, hey, should, should the company still provide a patch when a known vulnerability has been uh, uh, found for a particular device that they're making? Or because it's gone end of life, they're calling it sort of quits. It's, hey, we've, we've said we're not supporting this thing after we've called it end of life. You need to now go find another device. Hey John, I understand you're looking at a story about a kind of long forgotten uh, networking protocol that's still being used and maybe has some vulnerabilities? Yeah, yes I have, I am John. So uh, back in, I guess, late to early summer, a company called Armis produced a security vulnerability or at least you know, prepared the report about a product called VXWorks. And you know, they were you know, did the due diligence. They did a great job of reporting this VXWorks vulnerability and didn't think anything, you know, more other than VXWorks was impacted. Uh, they got a call from a hospital that their infusion pump had this vulnerability that they had identified for VXWorks, and they were a little confused. It's like, well, this isn't VXWorks. And, and so what they discovered was is that a lot of these uh, IOT, I, I don't really IOT, but more of like the internet control systems and the real-time monitoring type tools that are out there are using uh, a TCP IP stack called IPNet that was developed 15 years ago by a company called Interpeak. And what they found is this vulnerability that Armis got or, you know, discovered is prevalent in every instance of this IPNet uh, protocol. And if you think back to the old days, right, internet control systems, these real-time monitoring, didn't always have TCP IP connections. They didn't were Ethernet connected. But as we <laughs> know, we're connecting all this stuff up to the Internet, and we, we want to get them networked. And so this IP net filled that void for those real-time monitoring systems. But this company's gone. This, you know, it's not supported. But this this library of uh, for you know for the uh, for the IT stack is still present in many products. People just keep reusing this code, and it's not patched. It has a vulnerability, and it is in serious critical systems like you know like patient monitors, security cameras, um, infusion pump was what this is. And, and so there's really no fix for it because this company doesn't exist, nor does any support for this product exist. It, it, it's, it's kind of scary, uh, you know, and I think of this as, as zombie code, you know, <laughs> appropriate for this time of the year, in that, you know, we have these libraries like, like this one, but also things like OpenSSL, um, you know, some of the Adobe stuff, you know, there's people do this, these libraries that either are older or non-supportive and include them in their products, and then they don't think to ever patch them because, you know, they may patch their product, but they don't update or patch the library, nor do they even look for it sometimes. Um, I think that uh, uh, this actually in uh, at DEF CON this year, they did some study at the Biohacking Village on this particular issue and, and found that, you know, they, they it's tons of this IP net vulnerabilities in many products. Um, so I, you know, I think it speaks to the, you know, a lot of the issue that we have to, you know, not only do we have to keep our products up to date, 
but we also need to check and make sure that the libraries that they use are also up to date, and, and that's not always, you know, identifiable. You know, in this case, when you look at this thing, you 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 got to figure out like, so who who ultimately owns this problem, right? It's it, you know now you now you got to look at this manufacturer that decided that they were going to go off and use some some of these pieces of code that are readily available, right? And and serve the purpose, which mm -hmm. is you know the big thing there. Um, so now, who who owns that responsibility? I mean, I I would think that if you decided to include that code into your into your device, that you've now, in essence, bought into it, right? You've you now own it. You you now have to go figure out how how I keep this stuff up to date, right? You know, an old alternative or whatever that actually is still supported, that can meet the same networking communication needs that you right. need to do there, right? Right. Yep. But so many of these systems in this particular issue are, are real-time operating systems or real-time products, and, and it's a lot of those, you know, manufacturing and, and medical healthcare. I had actually had a job interview many years ago with a company, and, and that stuff is is a very niche type product, and and not always the best supported. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing. Also, for all the embedded or all the uh, devices deployed out in the field with this, um, this software package or this vulnerability for this uh, networking protocol, even, even if there was a patch for it, like deploying that patch, there probably isn't a good means to do it. Same, same way with a lot of like legacy equipment um, yeah. of these embedded type things, even the routers we were talking about earlier, a lot of sometimes they don't have very good patching processes, so or at all. No. Uh, in some of the medical type stuff. Can you can you take down a, a, a hospital? You know, like in this like this main issue with this hospital infusion pump. Can you take that down to patch it for for an extended period? What happens if it doesn't work right? Do you have a backup? Do you have? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, those are definitely r risks that you run with this kind of stuff. And like you said, the patching pro process becomes totally ad hoc. You can't you can't just go and just say oh yeah on on this night when you know the right, hospital we're gonna is, push we're gonna push to updates to everything you, you can't. probably don't even know where they are <laughs> right. and there's no means to do that even yeah. if you did know you where have they to have are some massively coordinated effort where you have physical people running around hospitals with you know thumb drives right right doing it <laughs> one by one right well and and that's and that's 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 real good Manning does even say that because you still think that especially like internet control systems. That may have this, or some of these these real time systems, the networking that connects to them is not always, you know, the most stable to begin with. So there's a lot of that work that is done with thumb drives and yeah. and direct access. I guess they're going to have to figure out what to do here. I my my thought would be you got to come up with a new product and probably replace a lot of this stuff that uses these, these legacy libraries. Um, uh, unless somebody out of their good nature of their heart is going to figure out a way to patch it all, you know, write a patch for those libraries and then deploy it out of the goodness of their heart to the world. If you're running these type of devices, you should be running sort of code reviews against them on some periodic basis, so doing some sort of audit. We're talking about code review audits where somebody is literally taking line by line of code and making sure that they understand what's inside this code, what kind of libraries it is actually using, and ensuring that there is a there's basically a, a table of contents of this code contains all these different libraries and we should be paying attention to whether patches are being shown for these particular uh, libraries. Any, I understand that you're looking into a VPN issue? 
Yeah, so this is a this is an interesting story. Um, so this one basically involves a um, uh, an advisory <clears throat> that came out from the NSA uh, to advise basically the public uh, about potential uh, APT group, um, an APT group that is isn't wasn't exactly um, announced within the within the advisory itself. But the, the article that I read kind of points a little bit to APT5. Mm -hmm. um, but again, not, not, wasn't named exactly in the advisory, but the NSA was basically pushing out uh, an advisory to let folks know about these unpatched um, VPN uh, devices <clears throat> that they are seeing this APT group sort of um, uh, attacking. Um, so not only did the NSA come out and uh, provide an advisory that included three CVEs, but the National Cybersecurity Center, um, which is, I guess, the equivalent in the UK, also uh, pushed out an advisory of their own that included three additional CVEs within their advisory, um, all pointing at these um, basically uh, un, unpatched, or uh, I think what they actually call unsupported uh, VPN technologies. So the three manufacturers that they, uh, or products, were uh, Pulse Secure, the Palo Alto Global Protect, and the Fortinet Fortigate. Hmm. Um, and uh, unfortunately, as we've always seen with these types of advisories and announcements, some of these advisories actually go back to 2018. So some of the vulnerabilities that they're hitting these boxes are, are vulnerabilities that were you know, announced back in 2018. Um, and some of the vulnerabilities, so if you look through, if you look through these, and I'm not going to go into detail what each one of the CVEs, but a general sort of look across these, obviously they're all hitting these VPN technologies, um, but they allow the things uh, like uh, retrieval of arbitrary files, uh, RCEs, uh, hijacking of encrypted sessions, and unfortunately, a lot of these CVEs, because they've been around for a while, already have Metasploit co code already built into Metasploit. So uh -huh. there's already uh, exploits built into, uh, into Metasploit, and uh, there's some that are available in GitHub. Okay. So this stuff's... So really easy for yeah. even an entry-level hacker yep. to... I had seen one of the issues with wildcard uh, certificates, you know, which is, you know, very much frowned upon. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you know, so it's obviously a big, huge issue. Um, again, you know, some of uh, some of them, some of these are just you know, uh, like default password kinds of uh, vulnerabilities as well. So that's you know, that's really just as bad as it gets. Um, and and unfortunately, the advisory is advising that the they're, they're seeing the use of this these um, these compromises attacking both uh, U.S and uh, UK, in the UK as well, okay. um, which is why you saw the advisories from both of those uh, countries. So in terms of targeting, they're talking about in like the commercial sector for businesses? For Correct. The part that they're, okay. For the most part, yeah. Because I mean, Pulse Secure <clears throat> and Fortinet for sure are used pretty widely in like a lot oh, of businesses. Yeah. yeah.
Yep. Um, and Cisco as yeah. well, which is not in here. But. And and you know, so and you'll have to look through. There's a lot of information. So anybody who's obviously interested in this and realizes that they may be running one of these, it would be good to look through the advisory because the advisory is full of a lot of information, especially version numbers for these devices, because there are certain version numbers that are obviously vulnerable to these uh, these CVEs. So you'd want to take a look th through those, um, including um, within those advisories. There's also which is kind of nice, and I'm not sure if we always see this in advisories, but there's a pretty good section in, at the end of the advisory that talks about sort of hardening of VPN, oh, okay, of VPN devices. So if you look through there, um, they talk about using multi-factor authentication, um, not allowing uh, uh, VPN administrators to log in over the internet oh. to manage their devices, which you know seems you know like a a no duh kind of thing, but, right. I, but I bet it happens a lot. Fortunately, yeah. it happens a lot. Um, and also, one of the other things is disabling uh, non-needed services. So a lot of these VPN devices offer up all these like file sharing services that if you don't need them, don't have them turned on because right, everything right. that you have turned on basically turns into a into a vector right. for for a vulnerability to exist. So, Manny, what do you think about you know like I mean we're this is, you know, obviously these are security products, you know, and but it, it's obvious that they're not, you know, nobody's exempt from security flaws. I mean, is that is that something that you think is a trend or a, or just, you know, that this needs to continue that we look at everything? Yeah, unfortunately, you have to you you have to continue to keep looking at everything, right? I mean, this is this is this is the stuff that we're we're seeing. I mean, this is almost like sort of another story about another set of devices that are out there that you know sort of run their course and these things are unfortunately like these other things they they hang out on the internet right i mean right. so they're not like things that you bury down deep into your network they're things that you literally set up as as the as the security points into your network yeah that's the big difference with this story is that you know these types of vpn solutions are the primary entry point or access point to um, a lot of businesses corporate networks and if an attacker can compromise that and get on to your corporate network via an exploit in this way, um, then you know yeah. the soft inside of your corporate network is highly vulnerable yeah. at that point to you know an attacker. Yeah. So that that would be the most concerning part. Yep, absolutely, it's game over at that point. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, I would say people should heed your warning and. If they use these products, they should probably take a look to make sure they're not impacted. And if they are, uh, you know, patch them. Try to yep. figure out if they've seen any sort of historical uh, penetration attempts of this yeah. nature or not. And one one key thing uh, that they actually um, state in the in the advisory as well, which you would think is sort of a you know a, a no brainer, but once you run the patch you should still go back and change out all the passwords for the device right, yeah, itself yeah. because you don't know, yeah. right? Yeah, the patch doesn't, right. It could have been compromised right. you don't know in then the Then you run the patch and you think, oh, I ran the patch, I'm protected now. No, yeah, you're not. They, they put a back door with a password, they got the password. They got the password, maybe exactly. admin account or something like that. So, yep. yeah, uh, I completely agree. Yeah. The fact that there's some vulnerabilities here, some of them uh, being some serious ones that are, you know, remote code execution or allow them to gain access to the VPN without um, being authenticated 
is a little troubling. You would definitely want to make sure that you have patches applied uh, if you, you know, if you use these products so that you can secure your corporate network from any type of uh, uh, intrusion of that nature. All right, man, I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week. Um, as we typically do, we look at the just sheer volume of scanning, which is the most probe ports chart. Uh, so irrespective of how many people are scanning, this is kind of showing you the, the volume of scan probe attempts. We see a lot of stuff that we see all the time. Telnet, SMB, um, uh, HTTPS, web. Um, I highlighted this one, port 8089, because that's a kind of unusual port, not something you see all the time. Uh, remote desktop protocol dropped down uh, two positions uh, from last week. The 34567, which is an, also an interesting port, 34567, mm -hmm. we're going to take a closer look in the next section. Um, I didn't highlight it uh, here, but in the, the next one, we'll take a look at it. SSH, port 22, another remote access type of uh, service. And then 1433 TCP, um, which is uh, Microsoft SQL Server, uh, that also went up a bunch of positions, but it didn't look overly interesting. That kind of one bubbles around a lot. Um, there's still a lot of just uh, scanning on that in general, so uh, I didn't focus in on it. But uh, we'll, let's take a look at port 8089 first. So this one, when we look at, this is a one-year chart, and you can see like way back last year, really there was very little scanning. And then we started to see some of these um, researchers that we know about, like Shodan and Census and some of these other groups. They started uh, running, you know, maybe weekly or uh, every other week scans on this port. And, um, and then, I guess somewhere around March uh, timeframe of this year, we started to see a lot more activity uh, in general, just in sheer volume of traffic. But what I discovered, uh, and I talked about this on the show maybe a couple of weeks ago, is that most of this activity is really coming from just a, a very small number of scan sources. Uh, most of them in the Netherlands, they're cloud hosting, US, China, Japan. Um, and uh, the Netherlands, which is a cloud hosting provider, accounts for actually 96% of the activity that we're seeing. So really it's coming from just a very small number of cloud hosting providers. Uh, when we take a look at what they're actually scanning for, uh, in our honeypots we can kind of see what's going on, and uh, we see them mostly scanning for PHP MyAdmin. There's a bunch of various types of things they're looking for, uh, various paths uh, to try to find um, uh, you know, vulnerable devices there mm. uh, that might have the PHP MyAdmin. So okay. similar to what we're talking about with Microsoft SQL Server, this is really targeting the PHP MyAdmin is a web interface for your uh, MySQL server. So really that's what they uh, appear to be looking for here. And there's a couple of variations of the PHP MyAdmin. So really it's the same setup script they're looking for, but just under different paths uh, like PHP okay. MyAdmin, PHP MyAds, PHP PG admin, blah, blah, blah. So you get yep. the idea. Uh, they're just trying to see if somebody left that setup script there, because that might give them ability to probably take over the, um, or maybe add a user for themselves and things of that nature. Um, uh, for what purpose? I don't know exactly, but they could probably do something to take over the server, or maybe just dump the data out of it um, or for like a data right. breach type yep. of thing, depending on somebody's using it for that. Uh, so let's look at the most sources probing. And um, again, a lot of the cast of characters we see a lot here. We've talked about most of them. I'll point out the ones that are different. 8080, um, there is 
some device that is well-known vulnerability for this, which has caused this real rise in scanning on it. Um, and I can't think of which one it is now, but um, uh, there's a bunch of other web services that typically run on port 8080 is also on port two. One of them being Tomcat. Um, a lot of these middleware prop, uh, products run like an administrative console on port 8080, which I would recommend you don't expose to the internet. Right. So, um, uh, but I think most of the scanning for that one has been uh, for that other recent vulnerability that came out last year, early last year sometime that is escaping me for some somebody's product. Um, 5555 uh, has been associated, I believe, with um, the Android debugger service, as well as there's some other like TR69 type vulnerabilities. There's some other devices that listed on this port that have TR69 services running on there that um, uh, have some uh, vulnerabilities in it. We've shown those on the show in the past, so um, I'm just pointing them out even though we're not gonna go look at them in depth. So 34567, we'll take a closer look at that one. We'll also take a look at uh, 5900 TCP, which has come up 20 positions. So when we see things in the most sources probing come up a lot of positions, that's usually a lot more interesting because it means there's a whole bunch of devices that all of a sudden started to do this scanning, um, as opposed to one guy just doing a lot of it. Um, so when you can get a whole bunch of individual devices doing it, you know that probably there's like a botnet or some sort of coordinated activity there. Uh, so here is 34567, and you can see really there's no scanning on here, but then we have these very sawtooth waveform scans, which is very typical of botnet-related scanning. Um, we've talked about it in the past. A lot of times when a botnet issues a command to a bunch of bots that are waiting to engage in some scanning, you got a bunch of them that can scan really quickly because they got really good bandwidth, you got or good horsepower on the machine, you got a bunch that don't. So the ones that are really fast and have good bandwidth finish earlier, and then the slower ones uh, finish later their, their scan request. So you kind of get that sawtooth decay form because of that, yep. uh, the nature of that activity. Um, when we take a look at the actual scanning we see in our honeypot, it looks like this is very much associated with a DVR uh, security camera product. It looks like they're scanning um, with uh, password guessing attempts on them in order to get in there. And I actually have a, a, a chart on it. It's not very clean looking because it's not an HTTP protocol, but you can see that they're coming in here with some encrypted, they're not encrypted, but some byte patterns. Um, and then a JSON -like looking um, uh, request that has a login type with dvripweb. Uh, and then they try some various password combinations here. I don't know if there's any logic to that. Um, mm and then an admin username of admin. So they're basically doing admin password guessing attempts against this particular uh, uh, version of uh, security camera that uh, listens on this port, which is, you know, we've talked about on the show a lot. There's a lot of these types of devices out there that people just plug in to the internet and, um, and then expose them to the internet. I would say security cameras specifically um, are exposed to the internet more often than not because people want them to be. So unlike a lot of other devices you might have on your home network, the security camera, a lot of people intentionally expose them to the internet because they want to be able to maybe check them yep. while they're traveling or away, um, which is the purpose of having a security camera. You're mostly looking at it when you're not there. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, we find a lot of those being exposed in this way. So that's what they're looking for here. 
So if you have one of these types of, I think there's more than just this DV rip web that lists on this. I think it's one of those, you know, there's a couple of manufacturers that make kind of the base hardware for these things, uh, these security camera devices, and um, a lot of other vendors kind of, you know, ship their own kind of spin on the base right. yeah. hardware. So it might be more than just one particular product. You should probably look into it in a little more detail if you have um, a security camera DVR. So the last one we have here is port 5900 uh, TCP VNC, which has uh, gone up 20 positions from where it had been. You can see there's kind of like a regular noise floor of you know, a certain number of devices out there scanning, probably in like the, I guess it's 500 uh, or so scan sources we see peaking. But then, was it a few days ago, maybe four or five days ago, we started to see this very, um, very much increased amount of scanning activity here. Again, kind of a sawtoothy type of waveform as well um, going on. So I took a closer look at that, and we also went from you know a yeah. noise for maybe 500 to about 6,000. So that's a pretty significant um, increase in terms of what's going on there. So there's a couple of things I notice about this. It's kind of a weird way to look at this maybe, but in terms of sheer scan volume, um, uh, we're seeing the United States, France, Netherlands, uh, for the most part, contributing most. Uh, these are mostly cloud hosting providers in these spaces that are doing whatever scanning. Um, and this is by sheer scan volume. So they're doing a lot of scanning, which is not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about a lot of scan sources, right? Mm. Uh, so what's more interesting to me is when you look at the number of unique sources, where are we seeing most of the sources of the scanning coming from? And you see other places like Mexico, Guatemala, Peru, Iran, India, uh, Syria, Uzbekistan, all that kind of stuff. And then way down here, you see very small numbers in Netherlands, uh, France, United States, there's probably a bit more, um, yep. just because we have really good visibility there. So what that's saying is that it's really just a small number of hosts doing a lot of this scanning, but for whatever reason, very recently, within the past four to eight days, we've got a lot more distinct sources in different countries doing this scanning. So I, look, I start looking at like Mexico, Guatemala, Peru, and the thing that's interesting about those, I don't have an explanation for this yet, but they're mostly um, consumer, uh, like home uh, ISPs, internet providers. Yeah. So it's probably like a home networking device, or maybe there's some sort of like router or something that is very prevalent in here. Okay. In like Guatemala, notably, it was one, um, you know, ISP that people would use to get, you know, their home connected to the internet. Okay. Um, and so it's kind of interesting. There might be something going on where somebody found some vulnerability in something that is commonly used in these parts of the, the world, uh, equipment-wise, that they were able to compromise. Um, it wasn't immediately obvious to me, kind of poking and looking at them, what that might be, but that kind of lends me to think that there's some, this botnet is composed of something that is used more prevalently in these parts of the world hardware-wise. Um, right. uh, especially since it's coming over consumer ISPs as opposed to like cloud hosting providers that we see you know, in the volumetric ranges here where you've got, you know, before in Mexico, Guatemala, Peru, prior to that four to eight days ago, we didn't really have anything here. Yep. And all of a sudden it went up to 1,500, 1,000 sources scanning on there. So that's kind of unusual for that to, to uh, crop up suddenly like that. Anyway, so maybe we'll find more information on that as things go. Um, but I thought that was a little interesting. You know, VNC, yeah. port 5900, 
it's an important one to keep an eye on, especially if you use it, because it's a lot like remote desktop protocol. Yeah. Uh, gives you basically full GUI access to um, to a target device, and it's got a little less security around it, I would say, generally speaking, than remote desktop protocol does. Not always encrypted, uh, a little bit more easily brute force password guessed in a lot of cases. So sometimes people just leave them without a password accidentally. So um, I'd be very careful with your VNC deployments, um, uh, especially given the fact that it looks like there's some people looking for stuff here. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.